we are continuing our discussion on Cain and Hevel, Cain and Abel, from Genesis 4. So if you want to turn to Genesis 4, Bereshit 4. And being this is Parshat Noah, um, we, uh, I want to just, as you're turning there, we'll just remind you that we have uh, Parshat Bereshit, which is the first, of course, in the cycle. Then we have Parsha Noah. Um, and those two Parshiot cover the seedbed for all of Scripture. All of Scripture comes out of those two partial 11 chapters of Genesis everything that we will that we will hear and read from Lech Lecha which is uh, the introduction of Avraham in chapter 12 everything that we will read from chapter 12 of Genesis through the book of Revelation all gets its its start its foundation in the first 11 chapters of Genesis I was never taught how important the first 11 chapters of Genesis were. But the more I study them, the more I'm, I'm challenged by other people who, who are studying them and are smarter than I am, the more I'm realizing that if, if we don't spend uh, an, an exorbitant amount of time, exorbitant, 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 it's got an R in it? Exor, exor, okay, a lot. If we don't spend a lot, a lot of time um, in Genesis 1 through 11, um, we're, we're going to have a little bit of a different view of Scripture than I think what Scripture is intended to give. And um, this, the, just these, these partiote are foundational. So even though we're going to be moving on, if you haven't spent a lot of time in these first two partials, I would encourage you to go back and, and not only read them, but, uh, but study them. Find a commentary. If you have Chumash or if you have a Stone Tanakh or if you have a, a good commentary, study Bible. Um, read the notes. Study, study them. Because they're some, they are the foundation for everything that we... Um, they're the intro to the story. And the intro is important, right? So, uh, we are in uh, Bereshit 4, uh, Cain and Abel. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but uh, I hope some of you have thought about our conversation from last week, our teaching from last week, and um, I hope it's continued to, to challenge you and reveal itself to you, uh, not things that I said, but maybe going back to the story and reading it uh, again with fresh new eyes, and uh, I felt pretty good about the way we ended last week, and uh, I felt like, good, I did my job, I communicated what I wanted to, I said what I wanted to say, I said some things I didn't mean to say, but I think were pretty decent. Um, I don't ever go back and listen to my messages just because I'm insecure like that. But um, I, so somebody will come up and say, well, you said this. I'm like, I don't remember saying that. Uh, but uh, um, as you guys well know, I don't ever teach from notes. Uh, and so it, it just kind of happens. And um, which in seminary and in like if you're learning to be a pastor, that's a huge no-no. Like you always, you spend days formulating your notes and your, you know, outlines and all that kind of stuff. Um, and when I do that, I feel like I'm, feel like I'm reading a, a lab report to y'all, and it's just not, it's not very engaging. Um, Heather's not here, but I would say this if she was. She's watching for sure. I'll get a text in just a second um, after I say this. Uh, uh, she's, when I read from notes all the time, she says, that wasn't very good. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> just, just, te- just talk from your heart. So um, uh, the, um, I, don't, I don't usually... Go back. Uh, there's precedent for this, though, because I, there's an old pastor that I, I know of um, that this is the way he did it. He preached his sermon, and then during the week, he would go back and listen to it. This is when it was recorded on cassette tapes. He would go back and listen to it and make an outline from what he had preached. And then, so that way, he would put out, even have his notes for the next time. So um, I'm not, I'm too lazy to do that, but it's recorded if you want to go back and listen to it. I don't know where all that came from. But anyway, um, so I felt pretty good felt like we, we challenged some things. I felt like we, um, we gave some more diverse ways of looking at Cain and Abel rather than just kind of the ways we, we have traditionally thought about it. Um, and 
we kind of really focused on this this verse uh, about um, verse seven, verse seven of chapter four. Where well, let's look at verse six because that's kind of the introduction. Hashem and, and Cain are having a conversation, right? And and Hashem says to Cain, "Why are you annoyed, or why is your countenance fallen?" And uh, it's a cool word play that happens here. I think we mentioned it last week. Your countenance fallen. Um, surely, if you do good, or this translation says, if you improve yourself, you will be forgiven, which I think is an interesting translation. Um, but if you not do not do good or do not improve yourself, sin rests at the door. Its desire is towards you, yet you can conquer it. And so I said over and over my point was if you do well good will come to you and I've like I said I was feeling really good about the way everything went and then someone came up to me afterwards who remained unnamed but he knows who he is Um, and he said I have to ask you about if you do good good will come to you I said okay he said well Abel did good and I was like oh (sighs) now I gotta do a part two (laughs) I guess I got a little prosperity gospel still in me (laughs) I guess I got a little bit of a little bit of uh, retributional theology still in me a little bit because in all honesty that's not what the scripture says it doesn't say if you do good good will come to you he says if you do well you'll be forgiven or what do some of your translations say accepted or your countenance will be lifted right so there's this cool word play in the Hebrew about your countenance has fallen when you do when you do evil or you do do bad but when you do well, your countenance will be lifted. It's similar to the, uh, to the uh, ironic blessing, the Birkat Koanim that we say, that God, was, God would lift his face towards you and be gracious to you, right? Would lift his countenance towards you and lead you in shalom. Um, you'll be approved of. You'll be, um, you'll, be, um, you'll be looked upon well or forgiven, acknowledged. There's all kinds of different ways to, to talk about that. that Accepted, right, okay, so accepted, another good word. But it doesn't say if you do good, good will come to you. So that was my mistake. Again, that was my, uh, that was a little Creflo dollar still in my system from years and years and years ago, or, uh, or uh, what's that other guy's name? Uh, Copeland, yeah. Um, don't, forgive me. Uh, but, uh, no, not don't forgive me. Forgive me, don't judge me. Um, so, uh, the, the fact is that as much as we like to think that if we do well, good will come to us, how many have lived life long enough to know that that's not really how it works? <laughs> not really how it works. Um, you can do great. And we, we did talk about this a little bit last, last week. You can, do re- you can be doing really well. And you can be feeling good about how well you're doing. And that's not a sin. For us to be faithfully loyal um, with the right intentions, with a good heart, I know we use that verse that the, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all, you know, who can know it? And we use it as a weapon against people who are not keeping the feast and keeping the commandments. Because, you know, in Christianity, said, well, we might not be doing anything right, but God knows my heart. And then we found that verse and we went, yeah, but the heart is wicked. We never talked to ourselves like that. We just talked to everybody else about it. You know, that says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm still eating pork, you know, but God knows my heart. Yeah, but you know the scripture says that the heart is, yeah, I know. And so we, we um, but we can really have right intentions. We can have good intentions, right intentions. Our hearts can actually be right. It's not beyond the scope of, 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 uh, of human striving towards Hashem. It's not beyond the scope for them to have good, right intentions and hearts. And, and that actually should be the normal. See that, it is true that our heart is deceitful. It, that's absolutely true. However, we are in the process of getting a new heart. 
We didn't get a new heart the minute we said uh, the, the sinner's prayer and got baptized and got filled with the Spirit. We didn't get a complete new heart at that time. If we did, then something mess, is messed up in the transaction. Because there's still a lot of people, new covenant people, quote unquote, that still have really raunchy hearts and attitudes and actions. But we are, our heart is being renewed and transformed, renewed, 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 so that hopefully we are, we are, we are less, our heart is less deceitful every single day that we walk with God. And our heart can be trusted, and by heart we mean mind, right? Heart does not mean feelings. Your feelings are deceitful. We know that 100%. But our mind, when the scripture speaks of the heart, lev, it's the mind. That's a lot different. Being led by your heart or letting your heart lead you, we think of as emotional. I'm going to let my heart lead me wherever my passions, quote unquote, lead me. But when you, when you flip that and you have to be led by your, your mind and what your mind thinks, that's a whole different ball game. And generally, and not generally, the science has shown that, that the emotions will follow the mind if the mind is willfully engaged. If the mind is in the back seat on a hiatus, the emotions will run wild and drag the mind wherever the emotions want to go. And so a strong mind is a check on emotions. And a strong mind will, will lead our emotions. And those, for those of us who are generally led by emotions, and that's just kind of how God made us and, and how we, we, you know, we may have struggled with that through the years, for those of us that are like that, when we try to put mind over emotions, it can be really difficult. It can be really tiring. It can be really taxing. But that's because we're not used to exercising that mind muscle. And we have to exercise willfulness and intention and, uh, and discipline in those things. All, to those of us who are emotional beings, all those words are like, ah, they're like water to the witch and wizard of Oz, right? It's like, no, discipline, uh, intentionality. Uh, but that's, we have to be more led by our, our minds and our, our hearts. Um, and so this, this, this whole idea about, um, about Cain and Abel and the story challenging us, I thought it would be challenging for a week and then we'd have it solved and then we'd move on. And yet it still continues to challenge because it runs into some of those doctrines that we've grown up with. Some of those things that some of us have grown up. Now, I know the prosperity gospel, not everybody has been exposed to it. And so that's, you know, I, that's understandable. You guys just take a nap for a little bit until, so we can get ourselves fixed and then we'll join you back uh, when, when, we get, when we get it right. But this, this idea that if you do well, verse seven, you'll be forgiven or accepted or looked upon. Your, your, your countenance will, will be risen, will, will rise. Um, is is more about our relationship to Hashem himself. Do you, have you ever been in a season where you know that what you're doing, your actions and your faithfulness is accepted by God, but it's not accepted by others? You're sitting in one of those seasons right now, by the way. <laughs> you're living one of those seasons right now. If you're at all trying to, to pursue the commandments and trying to trying to walk like, like Messiah did in, in, in a kosher Torah lifestyle as much as possible. You're in one of those seasons that the, the offering that we're bringing to Hashem of our obedience and our loyalty is acceptable to Him. But it may not always be acceptable to everybody else. Abel's, uh, Hevel's offering was acceptable to Hashem. But it wasn't acceptable to his brother. And it's okay for someone that you don't know to not understand and not accept. But it's a whole other thing for someone who lives in your house not to know and not to accept. When your intention is good and right and you just want to please God and be a blessing to other people. Some people hate that. Some people hate that attitude. Some people just cannot stand somebody who's so happy and, and wants to be pleasing to the Father and wants to be helpful, wants to be a servant to other people. It just, it just grates on some people's nerves. Mostly because they want everybody to be miserable like they are. 
They want you to be angry and divisive and full of chaos and malice. And so if you do well, you will be uplifted. Your countenance will be uplifted. You will be accepted. And I just want to work off of this particular, again, this is the Humash. It's an Orthodox translation, so it translates things a little differently. But if you improve yourself, I, we talked last week about whether Cain, his offering was intentionally or unintentionally not up to what it should have been now in looking at both sides of it the language seems to support more that it was intentional he knew what he was doing and so we talked about both of those things because there are those we have both of those dynamics in our lives we have times in our lives when we are absolutely trying a thousand percent our hardest to please Hashem and yet bad things continue to come our way and the question is, how do you deal with that? What do you do with that? We expect that when we intentionally do evil, we expect not to be accepted. That's kind of par for the course. But it's when we do, we're doing our best and we still don't feel like we're accepted. But this comes from the, the root of a, a, again, sort of a prosperity gospel, reciprocal, uh, uh, retributional theology standpoint. You might not even know, understand what those words mean, but you've been taught it. Because if we're right with God and if we're doing the right things, then life should be well. And if that's a lie we were taught and used for scripture to back it up, then we've got to detox from that idea. And, and unlearning that expectation is a long, hard road. Now, the Bible does speak, it seems like, what we call a Deuteronomy, uh, Deuter oh, dang it. Uh, say it. Deuteronomistic. Thank you. Deuteronomistic theology, which in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God very plainly says, if you do these things, then these things will come upon you. If you do not, then these things will come upon you. However, that ideal is really kind of just limited to, to the Deuteronomy. 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 Y'all got it. See? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. To Deuteronomy. So. The, this idea that we have this exchange, that God is in this exchange economy is really limited in Scripture. However, we, in some circles, we have taken it and applied it to all of Scripture. And then we use little half phrases and soundbite verses from here and there where Yeshua says, you know, talks about seed. And then now we have seed theology, right? That if you plant a seed, you're going to get back more in a harvest. And we, we have all these, these little parts and pieces that we take apart to create this theology. And the problem with this, this idea of, of either, whether you want to call it prosperity uh, gospel or we want to call it retributional theology, the, the problem with the idea is when it runs into real life. When it runs into real life and someone's spouse, God forbid, is dying with cancer. And they're not getting better. Although they've both been faithful and they've both loved God and they've both paid their tithes and they've both prayed and they've both lived a, a, a spotless life as much as they possibly can and, and, and the spouse is not getting better and they're claiming the promises of God and they're reading scripture and they're claiming the, the Deuteronomistic whatever promises and they're doing all that and no change seems to be happening. Then what do you do? Then, then how do you answer that? Well, sadly enough, in too many people's lives, the experience has been to, to that couple has been told, well, your faith is not strong enough. It's a problem with your faith. Like, like again, when I talk about this is not magic, this is the context that I'm talking about because God is some kind of fairy genie, magic genie up in heaven, and we just have to, we just have to punch in the right code to engage him to move on our behalf. We have to say the right word, the right incantation in order for God to move. And, and, and all of those things can be found in Scripture. A validation for those things can be found in Scripture. And yet, when it runs into real life, that thing starts to, to begin to fall apart. 
when you're doing everything right and life around you still isn't great. That does not say anything about your faith or about who God is. So get that poison out of your mind. Get rid of that toxicity. It doesn't have anything to do with your goodness or, or not, or your, your, you know, your faithfulness, or who God is and how he interacts with the world and with us. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, but God is the God of all creation, and, and so he should be able to pull some strings. It doesn't work that way. We've, we've been lied we've been lied to in that and so we've been we've been given an expectation of scripture that scripture itself doesn't support and doesn't teach and so what is the lesson what is the way we're supposed to think about this and how do we struggle with this and 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 i'm just going to tell you right up front i don't know that i have the whole answer so anybody that could add to it please chime in because this is a, i think this is an important thing for a lot of a lot of people The alternative to doing well or improving ourselves and being accepted, our countenance being lifted up, is that we get into this relationship with sin where failure is reproduced in our lives. Where failure is reproduced in our lives. That's the alternative. So how do we know if we're doing well? See, the other, one of the other issues with this kind of way of thinking this retributional way of thinking is that we use life circumstances sometimes as a litmus test for how we're doing how we stand with God the sun's shining it's cool this morning we got in our vehicle or our coffee maker worked we got a good night's sleep coffee pot worked this morning hallelujah our clothes fit we got in our car, it cranked. We had the heater or whatever, whatever you had on this morning, air conditioner. Car runs great. Everything so far today seems to be lining up really, really, really well. I must have, I must have hit a, I must have hit a right, a right stride, a right groove, because God's blessing me. Does that make sense to anybody? The way, you, the way we think sometimes that. We calculate, as opposed to, well, I got up, I, I didn't sleep very well last night, I got up, I'm cranky, right, I'll mumble through some prayers or whatever, and, um, and the coffee got burned, right, of course, because of the hair dryer shorted out in the bathroom, and so the coffee got burned, and I get in my car, and it starts, but I got a flat tire, and just, and we think, God, what did I do to deserve this? And that calculation, that expectation is the root of where we have it wrong. That is wrong thinking. But we've been taught, no, that's how the Bible works. And it really, okay, thank you. What about the persecuted church? (laughs) Right. What about the persecuted church? What about people that are, that are hiding and that are, that are, you know, there's stories that come out of places like China where they have, they have a, you know, a torn, one torn page from the Bible and it's, it's so used that, it, that the ink is almost rubbed all the way off and every week they get together and they read the same page front and back or whatever of, of scripture every week and they rejoice and the, and the, the, the assembly in China is, is expanding and growing like crazy. And we, and we, we, I know this doesn't happen with y'all and here at OAM, but some of us may at some point have been guilty of leaving a building that's air conditioned and heated and comfortable and indoor plumbing and music and, and all the comforts that we could ever imagine and leaving and getting in our car and going, church just wasn't that good today. I just didn't, I didn't get anything from the message today. It didn't feed me. Oh, oh I can't even, mm-mm, mm-mm. All right, let's take a left turn because if I stay there, I'm gonna be here all day. What about those things? See, when that idea, life is, I think, 
I think here's the beautiful thing of how Hashem works with us. I think life, God uses life to teach us what the scriptures say. But we've been trained to approach it as, well, if we're filled with the Spirit, and if we can quote Scripture, and if we have a prayer life, and if we're, we're, we pay our tithes, and we're faithful attenders of our, our, our Sunday's church, or our Shabbat, whatever, even, even more so if we're pursuing the Torah, and we've started to keep Shabbat, and we've started to keep the feast, we should be gaining favor with God. And therefore, that must impact the, the world around us, the surroundings and how life treats us. And then when, when trouble does befall us, then we have this, this disconnect. We have a, what's called a cognitive dissonance where something has been told to you that this is true and yet reality says that it's not like oh like Biden's the most popular president in American history that's what they're telling us is real but you look around and go like there's no way that can be true there's, there's it just doesn't work cognitive dissonance right and so this this sorry the, the when when these ideas run into life I think God wants to use life as a way to correct and go like you're smart you're you're smart people I've in, I've given you my my you're my image I've given you my spirit I've I've given you covenant I've speak to you and and I want you to be able to read my word and understand how how I interact with life and how life is supposed to work as a covenant believer as a Christian as a whatever you want to call yourself as someone attached to the God of Israel and and when you hear or are taught a doctrine that is incorrect and it runs into real life life will tell you no it doesn't work that way because what, these, what this thinking and this theology has done to a lot of us is it's created an anxious life. A life that's full of anxiety and worrying about, am I pleasing God today? Or did I please him when I said this? Or did I, you know, could I have done more? Could I have done more? Could I have done more? Could I have done more to please him? More right, more heart, more, more whatever. And we follow God with such an, almost an abused child syndrome. And and when we do good and are doing our best and life still doesn't work, it can be very, very, very detrimental to someone's walk. What are we supposed to learn from Cain and Abel? As I talked about last week, first of all, I hope this begins to break some of that retributional bondage that you're under we could say well we just we live in a fallen world right that's the old that's the old baptist kind of explanation well we just live in a fallen world so everything's going to be really crappy right okay but but the fallenness of the world is not because adam and eve took a bite out of this apple and then all of a sudden like this dark mist covered the earth and it intoxicates all of humanity. The world has fallen because people choose to do evil things. See, it's, again, we're, we're tackling theological systems, not just thoughts, but systems. Because all these things work together and they're all, they're all woven together. It's a clean and easy theology to say the world was broken with Adam and Eve and we inherited that brokenness called sin and so we can't help it if we're really crappy people it's just in us it's just who we are right and we'll just have to wait until one day our grandchildren's grandchildren see Jesus again and he'll fix everything but for us we just gotta kind of Take it for what it is, and we have no ability to change anything. That's a clean theology. At least you know where you stand, even though it's kind of depressing. It's a much harder theology to say that, well, yeah, Adam really messed up. Adam and Eve ruined sacred space. 
and, and, uh, and brought shame in the world and all, all the things that happened, sin, yes, all those things are true. But then to say, we have a choice. And I don't understand how we can have such a strong Pauline theology in our heritage and not really understand Paul as Paul talked about this struggle between the flesh and the spirit which what Judaism would call the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination, and the Yetzer Hatov, the good inclination. And Paul's saying, it's a choice. You choose to let one rule or not. One doesn't just rule just because we choose. And so in, in, in my particular translation, when Hashem tells Cain, if you improve, if you improve, listen, Cain, this offering wasn't acceptable come back and try again come back and try again then you'll be accepted does that mean that life is going to be daisies and roses no it doesn't and we some of and some of it and I know I know pretty much in here who has this understanding and who doesn't so I'm teach, I'm teaching talking to those of you who do those of you who don't just pray for us but we've got to disconnect that somehow my obedience to God should affect the way my life happens we have an outward focus we have an outward focus on this in other words if I do well then that should affect outside of me when maybe really the the focus we should have is an inward focus I used to do this cool illustration or I thought it was cool um, long, 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 long time ago when I did camps and retreats and stuff where I'd have like four buckets, four white buckets and I'd have a sponge in front of each one and I'd have kids come up and dunk the sponge in the liquid in the bucket and um, you wouldn't know what it was until you squeezed it and, um, and you see how it reacts to different things. So one bucket was pure water. One bucket was... Um, like some kind of cleaning solution, clear cleaning solution. One bucket um, had a little bit of toilet water in it, you know, one, whatever. And you, you wouldn't know how, what, they, what was in them because they were all clear until you took the sponge and you squeezed it and some had different kind of objects that would interact and show kind of what it was. And so the idea is that we, we have an outward focus on life. I'm doing well, life should be good. But what about maybe God is using life to teach us really who we are? And maybe we should be much more inward focused. See, we, we are so intelligent and the human brain is so amazing that we fool ourselves. We, fool, we create, listen, I've been doing some listening to different lectures and stuff about uh, psychology, philosophy and stuff. Do you know that, do you know that we, our brains make up realities? Do you know that? We make up realities. And the reality that each person creates, their brain creates for them, is a way of seeing the world that causes the least amount of harm to that person or uneasiness to that person. That's fascinating. So a child who is abused will create a reality that either says that's okay or, or somehow justifies it to themselves and why do they do that? Because the human mind, the human brain is all about self-preservation. It's all about surviving. And so even as young children, if in abusive relationships or when, when, a, when a kid is mean to them and bullies them at school or whatever, children will, their minds will create a reality that deals with that, that, that harshness and that heartache. And as adults even, we're not immune to this. It just really instantiates itself as adults. How can I say instantiate but not deuteronomistic? Oh, there was. But as adults, um, it, it, it instantiates itself in our lives and our way of viewing the world is what it is because our brains have figured out that it causes the least amount of anxiety and harm for us. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. And so... We, we have this ability to fool ourselves and to lie to ourselves for our own good and for our own survival. It's weird. And we don't even understand it's happening, that it's going on. 
We just think our way of viewing the world is right. But someone who hasn't been through the right circum or the same circumstances as you doesn't see the world like you do because they don't have that mechanism working, right? Their mind is keeping them from other harmful stuff that they've been through, right? And so you have all these different dynamics working together. The fact that we can all coexist at all is, is an is a absolute miracle of God. As we, as we, as we improve and as we, we begin to start to understand who we are, life begins to squeeze us. And we, most, many times we can lie to ourselves and think, well, I'm able of coping with that or handling that or dealing with that until, until God allows life to squeeze that particular area. And then all of a sudden, something comes out of you. Boop. And you go, whoa, what was that? Where did that come from? And, and we're, in, we're meant to deal with it and correct it and conform it to the image of God is what we're, we're meant to do. But if we're in a headspace where we're too busy blaming the effects of the world and asking God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? If we're too busy doing that, instead of taking them as lessons to be learned, our energy is spent elsewhere and we don't have a capacity to work on us. Does that make sense? Because we don't have any energy left. We're worried about blaming the world and stressing about, well, why isn't life right? Why isn't life better? I've been faithful. I've been good. I've, been, I've prayed. I've done all the stuff, God. Why isn't life working? No, life actually is working. It's working to be your schoolmaster. It's working to train you. It's doing exactly what you asked for. God, refine me so I can be more pleasing to you. Okay. Here comes some life. And then we go, well, why is life so rough? My heart is right. You see? And then we, and then we short circuit the very thing we ask God to do. Because more time, God can. But more times than not, God's not going to go, oh, you want your heart changed? Well, here you go. It's done. And we go like, oh, man, I'm just so full of peace and shalom. It's awesome. It doesn't, I mean, God can do that. And sometimes he does. But 99.9% .9 of the time, we go, God, refine me. So make me, make me more like you. And he goes, okay. And then, and then your, your hair dryer shorts out. And your coffee burns. And you get a flat tire all in the same morning. And we go, God, why is this, why is life so hard? but you just asked for me to help refine you. But see, if we have the wrong perspective and we have a retributional theology, we miss the test. How many tests have you missed? How many lessons have you missed? Are you still praying today the way you were 20 years ago and nothing has changed and you can't figure out why? You're still asking God to fix the same things you were 10, 15, 30, 60 years ago and you still have those same issues and you can't figure out why. It's because we're short-circuiting our own process because we have a, a wrong way of looking at the world. The truth is, the truth is, and Kyle taught this a year ago, maybe a little more. The truth is that Hashem is not sitting up in heaven on some golden throne watching us like ants and going like, man, I really hope they make it out of this life alive. <laughs> the truth is that he is who? Emmanuel. He is with us. And this life that we've, we've been taught, some of us, to hate and to decry and to, to see as the curse and all this kind of stuff, this life that we just think is just really, you know, a, a, a waiting room, a, a, a transition space until we get to paradise, this life is actually the mechanism for our growth. It's actually the mechanism that God is using to strip us of us and make us more like his image. And so it is our duty to embrace this life rather than to try to run from it or try to manipulate change in it. Because the fact of the matter is that the world is evil because evil men do evil things. Well, what about the prince of the power of the air and the, all of that? Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Absolutely, that's scripture. But we all know that the devil doesn't make you do anything. 
Yeah, sure, there's a power, there's a principality, there's an adversary, absolutely, thousand percent. But come on, we're not, we're not four years old. We can't claim the devil made me do it and think that, we're, that everybody's gonna believe us. We're smarter than that, we're mature. We know that we're accountable for our own decisions. We're accountable for the decisions we make. What we're not free from is other people's decisions. We're not free from the impact sometime of other people's decisions. What we do have responsibility though is how we react to other people's decisions. And for me, that's the story of Cain and Abel. Cain, why are you so upset, buddy? If you improve, you'll be forgiven. You'll be accepted. But if you don't, you begin to manifest and reproduce failure over and over and over if you don't improve if you don't keep pushing if you don't keep trying to be better and do better and so when life when life comes on you or even in little tiny things how many times do we get frustrated over little stupid stuff that's just an inconvenience we get out to the car oh I gotta go back inside I left my keys is that just me maybe it's just me just little dumb stuff was at the fair yesterday the fur end of the day everybody's tired everybody's hot right when we walked into the fair four and a half hours earlier we walked by the shaved ice place right where you put your own flavors on it like and all the kids were like we got it okay fine we'll get lunch we'll ride some rides we'll do that on the way out okay all right great so the last ride we get off the last ride what's the first thing they say shave can we have we gotta have shaved ice now yeah absolutely walk all the way back down the midway get to the line wait there 10 minutes uh, four shaved ice please oh our machine's broken in our house Heather and I have this sign that's, it's this in other words I'm so aggravated my eyes about to start twitching so I'm holding it in place so if you ever see us do that to one another clear out no um, I didn't react real well I didn't react real well. I did better than I usually would. I didn't throw anything or say any bad words. Yes, sometimes your pastor says bad things. I know, I know, it happens. I did better, I improved, but I didn't do great. So what is, what is that? Is that, should I have gone in there and laid hands on the ice machine? You laugh, but that's where I, this place I come from. That's the training I got. Something's not working in your life, you lay hands on it. You plead the blood of Jesus on it and you make it work. Speak to it. That's right. Speak life. Well, I'm not making fun of that because I've, I've actually seen that work. However, are the odds more that God wants me to do that or that God wants me to go, oh, after you just cussed out in front of you know your wife and your family because you can't control yourself now how do you feel Mm-hmm. see that's a part of it's about that circumstance was not about the shaved ice and it's not that god didn't want my kids to have nice you know cool it has nothing to do with that it was about how we as a family would react me being first because they they follow me right man what if we start looking at all of our situations and circumstances like that Yeah, mine's play, yeah, we're playing we're fooling ourselves. If we start looking at life as a series of exposing who we are, every little circumstance, exposing who we are. Because we pray really lofty prayers, right? We pray really deep prayers about wanting to be conformed to his image and, and all those kinds of things. And when we when we promise something to God and when we commit something to God, what does the Torah call that? A vow or an oath. When we sing I want to be more like you, Jesus. I, or, uh, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Oh, really? Oh, really? Okay. Time to go to school. Because to be a sanctuary, we have to be clean inside and out. 
I don't just mean like you take a shower every day and brush your teeth twice a day. I mean clean of malice, clean of bitterness, clean of jealousy, clean of anger, clean of impatience. Clean. Clean. Well, how is that going to happen? God doesn't strike you with, with stuff from heaven. He's going to use life to show you this is where you're, oh, you got, oh, you got jealousy. No, no, I don't. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. Oh, you're bitter. You got a lot of healing to do. Well, no, like I'm good. I feel good today. (laughs) Oh, okay. Let's just, let's just allow today to turn around and let's see how it goes. And then you lose your mind. And God goes, that's what's really in there. You don't know what's in the sponge until it's squeezed. And when it comes out, you realize what's in it. See, we all look good right now. We're all smiling for the most part. Everybody's good. Everybody's happy. How was it an hour before you left the house? Well, those of you without kids, it was probably great. (laughs) Unless your husband doesn't listen, then I can't help you. But you see, all these things are about our our reaction it's about how we react and are we willing to improve are we willing to improve because he is Emmanuel he's God with us he's God with us I know growing up in youth group and Sunday school we always used to say like you know we were dating we would like true love weights and all that kind of stuff and and we're dating would be like you know when you're on a date imagine Jesus is right there with you which is always kind of creepy but I understand the point you know they were they were trying to make but it was for a it was for an it was a fear thing it was for a negative thing but but what if we think about this idea that that God is with us in the in the issues he's with us in the challenges he's with us when we don't get shaved ice and we're really hot he's with us whenever the water heater goes out he's with us when it's 115 degrees and a hurricane is brewing in the in the in the gulf and we're gonna lose power for two weeks he's with us in those things and his presence, his being with us, is meant to conform us to him. When a hurricane's coming, and this has changed, thankfully, this has been changing. When we got a hurricane coming, everybody prays for it to go somewhere else. What the heck kind of prayer is that? What kind of prayer is that? But for years, people have been praying like, please change its course. Finally, enough, I think, non-believers over the years have gone like, that's a really crappy way to pray, Christians, because somebody's still going to get hurt. And we went, oh, maybe that is not great. So now we just pray for it to dissipate. But in that situation, non-Christians had to tell us that we weren't praying the right way. Hello. (laughs) It's amazing. Galatians 5, 22 says, but, which means there's stuff that comes before it that we're not going to take time to read. The fruit of the Spirit, well, actually, you know what? Yes, we are. Go to Galatians 5. I'm sorry. And by the way, to Brady, who asked me that question at the end of last, um, last week's this is not intended to be an answer to your question because I don't, I don't know that I have the answer. But this is me processing it throughout the week. So all of Galatians 5 is a, um, a continuation of this, this whole conversation about flesh and spirit. So just go read Galatians 4 and 5 um, because it's all about this. You got the Hamet stuff and the leavening and all, you got all this stuff, Right? Verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh, let's call that the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. Remember, you stand in the middle of these, the flesh and spirit and you have the ability to choose which one you'll be loyal to and obedient. Now the deeds of the Yetzirah, the flesh, are clear. Okay, sexual morality, impurity, indecency, idolatry, witchcraft. Um, which all those, I think most of us and most of the church at large do pretty well on because those are 
more public things in a, in a, in a sense. Um, I had a, one of my mentors used to always tell me he would much rather deal with somebody that has sins of the flesh than sins of the spirit. And what he meant was at least somebody that has a sin of the flesh, we call it, you know what it is, there's no hiding it, there's no denying it, it's out there and you can address it and you can deal with it. A sin of the spirit is much more sneaky and much harder to discern and then to, to deal with. Um, of course, immorality, impurity, all that stuff can be private, but uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, that's a big one, hostility. Listen, some of us are just hostile to everything. We say, oh, we're just a little cynical. You're not just a little cynical, you're hostile. We're hostile. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm just not a people person. No, you don't like people. You're hostile towards people. And that hostility towards people is not because of the people. The hostility towards people and the I'm not a people person is because there's a, a, a thing in you that gets triggered when you're around people, an insecurity, a something in you. Now, let me back up from that off of that a little bit and say there are introverts and extroverts I believe that right some of you get really like you've you've your tank is filled when you're around people that energizes you and some of you some of us we're around people and and then we got to go home for a day or two and just we've peopled too much right really evident in Sukkot who is a peopler and who is a not peopler right very evident when you spend seven days together with people uh, kind of where they are so that that's a that's a legitimate thing but this idea that you're you become antisocial because you don't like people it's usually because that triggers something in you and it's a hostility it's a hostility that you have uh strife strife just just you know we joke about oh they hold the stick that stirs the pot we're always stirring up stuff that's strife just stirring, just stuff. Just lighting the match and tossing it and just walking away. Jealousy. Mm. Again, life will show you if you're jealous. Life will show you if you're jealous. If you're so eat up with stuff that other people have or who they are, that it's all you think about. Life is trying to show you, hey, hey, jealousy, which is a 90s song for those of you that know. Gin Blossoms, thank you very much. See? Um, where were we? Uh, yeah, rage. Rage doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're raging 100% of the time. Kids that are into video gaming, they have this thing called, you know, like you get in the game and you can't beat a level or whatever and you rage quit. Do what? Yeah, break, throw the keyboard, you know, throw the mouse, kick the computer, whatever rip the controller out of the game whatever you rage quit you got so frustrated that you just your head explodes that doesn't mean that you rage all the time and I, and and for me i've i had to deal with this because my when i'm when i'm faced with life and it starts to squeeze me one of the main ways it comes out is anger and i know most of you have not seen that i hope you don't ever have to but i know my family sees it and and it's more important that they that they don't see it than you don't see it no disrespect but if I'm happy jolly everything's great here all the time and yet I go home and I kick the cat and yell at the kids right and don't don't you know I'm not affectionate with my wife because I'm angry that's more of a problem than me being like that than me being happy here and so but rage is not an always thing rage is what happens whenever life is not going well if you react in rage you're being in that part of our lives we're being controlled by the flesh or by the yetzer hara um, selfish ambition this is really hard as an American selfish ambition because we have this thing called the American dream where you're supposed to work your way into a nice home and a nice car and nice clothes and and the best of every you're supposed to prosper you're supposed to start your own business you're supposed to have stuff you're supposed to have land you're supposed to accumulate you're supposed to become the american dream is really the american gospel in a lot of ways and in some ways it is 
contrary to the actual gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. I'm not saying having nice things is bad. I'm not saying let's all sell our stuff and all our stuff and all go live in tents out in the woods. Some of you that would work. For some of you would be like, that ain't my Jesus, sorry. So what I'm not saying is that having things is bad. But we've all heard that you can have things, but just make sure things don't have you. It's very, very true. This selfish ambition into where I have to, I have to neglect somebody else's need because it may take away from my ambition. My ambition is is to pay off the debt I've accumulated because of all the stuff I felt like I had to have because I'm an American. So I got in a bunch of debt and now, ooh, I would really love to help that single mom who's struggling at Walmart to pay her grocery bill. Ooh, but I gotta pay off this debt. Or ooh, I'm really saving for this thing that my neighbor has that I, this grill or this whatever that I really, really, really want and, I, and I've been saving and I got a little nest egg and I'm almost ready to pull the trigger. Oh, but there's somebody that needs, well, I, can't, I won't give as much because then I can't get my grill. Those are simple, but this gets a lot more malicious where people actually undercut people and do violence and do mental abuse to people just so that they can have the leg up. But it doesn't have to look like that. It can be those little moments of selfish ambition. We worry about self-preservation more than we do about spending our lives for other people. Dissension. Factions. I hope those two things are things we're doing well at. Factions. We don't have factions here. I know people, you're always going to have people that kind of coalesce around each other and that's cool, but I hope we do that well. Um, Envy. Envy is really, um, envy is kind of with covetousness. I would put it together with covetousness. Envy is one of the, I think, one of the biggest affronts to God's goodness and faithfulness. Because whenever you envy something that someone else has, you're saying what God has given you is not good enough. It's your kids. You know if you've had kids and when you used to do Christmas, when you were pagans? I'm joking. I'm so joking. I'm joking. When you, were, when you celebrated Christmas or now when you do uh, Hanukkah and you get your get, or birthday, whatever, you get your kids two gifts and, and they're both holding their gifts and one's looking at the other one? All lusty-like? Like, man, I really wish I would've gotten that. How does that make you feel as a parent? It makes you feel like a failure or it makes me feel like a failure, like, man. <laughs> and, some, and sometimes I just wanna rage quit parenting, right? Um, <laughs> So how does it affect the father's heart whenever we look at, we're constantly looking at everybody else's stuff and going like, well, I wish my life was like that. I wish I had that. I wish, sometimes um, it's because we can't handle what they have. Sometimes it's been because we've been lazy and we've not been willing to do what they did to get what they have. So it might not be a God thing at all. You might just need to get your head out of the clouds and go to work and do and, and sacrifice and do and then you can have it and God would be happy for you to do that but maybe what he's trying to work out in you is the fact that you're not disciplined you're not committed so you don't ever, you don't ever get what, what those things yield alright um, drunkenness corrupt, which drunkenness not drinking drunkenness make that distinction carousing uh, I don't know if we have any carousers here maybe um, and things like these. He says, I'm warning you, verse 21, I'm warning you just as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit God's kingdom. Um, and it's only in light of those things that we can read verse 22 because there's a but there. But the fruit of Ruach is, and there's some discussion about like, oh, this is all one fruit Oh no, it's nine different fruits. I don't really care to have that discussion. The point is, these are all characteristics that we should be developing, whether they're separate or together or whatever. however we get them, we need them, right? Love, which we talked about being loyalty. For me, this ties back into the, how we count the 10 commandments, right? What's the first commandment? We've talked about, well, in our traditional reckoning, the first commandment is thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? 
the first commandment in Jewish reckoning is I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt right which if that's not the first matter that you get settled nothing else matters in the same way the first fruit of the spirit being love or the first part of the fruit of the spirit being love being loyalty to Hashem if we don't have loyalty to him the rest of this doesn't matter because it's only in that loyalty us being loyal to him him being loyal to us that we work these things out so loyalty joy peace shalom wholeness patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and the oft forgot self control <laughs> who said uh, Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> sorry I just called you out on live stream oh, <laughs> um, and self control against such things there is there is no law in other words you walk in these things there's you're good like this is this is what being the this is what being not like God this is what being the ideal human is like we talked about that last week about being the ideal human this is what being the ideal human is like being an ideal human is not a being a human is not a curse a human is what God created God created humans human being a human is not a curse being an evil human is a curse being a good human is being the image of God in the earth. Isn't that cool? He says, if we live by Ruach, by the Spirit, by the characters of God, then we walk by Him. Um, let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, etc. So read Galatians 4, 5, and 6. Great challenge as always. The, the part is, whenever we are squeezed... Are we more inclined to loyalty? Are we more inclined to unfaithfulness? When we're squeezed, are we more inclined to rage or joy? When we're squeezed, are we more inclined to, you know, to a strife? Are we more inclined to shalom? Which one are we more bent to? That will tell us where we need to work, where we need to, where we need to go, what we need to do. The fact is that there is no escaping, there's no escaping life's issues. There, there isn't. And I don't, and this is a whole nother conversation, so I don't want to drop a bomb on you, but there are some really uh, well-established ideas that, that, you know, the garden in, in Genesis, the garden we call paradise was not perfect in the way we think perfect it was not you know it wasn't per perfection and these same ideas when we think about the end times when we think about the renewing of the, the earth and all we think about the millennial reign and, and all that and, and those times won't be perfect either maybe we'll have Messiah here and he'll be teaching you know how to follow God and how to welcome the Father and all those things but maybe it won't be perfect but it's that people's hearts will be turned towards God and, and we will be making better decisions. We will be making righteous decisions. We will be living and walking in justice and we will be living by loyalty and by joy and by shalom and by self-control and together we, we create a world that lines itself with God. Is it, more, is it more impressive or more valuable that God would miraculously change our hearts and we would be people that would be full of the fruit of the spirit or is it more powerful that we would we would connect with the ruach inside of us and become those things and thereby able to teach someone else how to become that thing see the the i'm going to say the problem with and that's not what i mean but that's the only way i know how to say it the problem with god zapping you and transforming you instantly is that you can't help somebody else Well, well, we've done that though, right? And because we got a little turnaround or because we got a renewal somehow because we spun around three times and we, we shouted and all of a sudden God delivered us from something, which does happen. I'm not making fun. It does happen. 
then we've started whole ministries that said, well, like, oh, you got to run like this, or you got to jump and shout, or you got to spin around, or you got to say this prayer, or you have to listen to this worship music, or you have to buy this cloth that's anointed with this oil, or you got to do this or that or whatever. But if we, together in community as human beings, work with God to become the ideal humanity, then I can tell you, well, this is what worked for me, and this is, I'll help you. I'll walk with you in becoming the better human that God wants you to become. So, this is a quote that Brady also sent me this week. And I love this. And this is where I want to be. This is, this is my goal. I'm not even sure if you know the source of this quote, but it says, even in death, knowing that I please the creator in my service to him is the ultimate good that could come to me. Life is precious, but not better than serving even in death knowing that I please the creator my service to him is the ultimate goal, good that could come to me hey Cain if you, if you didn't do well just improve improve if you refuse to improve you're going to reproduce failure and when I asked you how many years have you been praying for the same thing to be changed and it's still not we are not, when we don't take responsibility to improve ourselves with God through life circumstances, what are we doing? When we don't improve ourselves, we are reproducing sin. We're reproducing that failure over and over and over. And some of us have been around the same mountain for too many years, too many years because we didn't take responsibility to improve ourselves we've been asking God why life is so bad and we've been putting the the onus to improve us on someone or something else and so what we've actually done is we've actually reproduced with sin and failure and that that area of our life has been an area of failure year after year after year after year after year after year we we cut ourselves off at the knees so God is the God of miracles. He is the God of deliverance. He will and he can. And he will help and he wants to help and he does help. And sometimes God will decide, I'm just gonna touch you and I'm just gonna deal with it that way. And that's wonderful and that's an expe- expectation I have in a lot of areas of my life. But while I'm waiting on his touch, I'm not gonna sit back and not do nothing. While I'm waiting on him to, to move in that area of my life, I'm not just gonna, just gonna check out. I'm going to give him everything he needs to work with. I'm going to give him a a plethora of of ability and opportunity to work with so that when he gets ready to do whatever he can only do, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm there. The stage is set, and I'm ready to receive whatever he has for me. 